Let's read of that great mystery in John 1 and that great miracle. The Word became flesh. John 1 verses 1 through 18. We're going through the Christmas stories, the four portraits of the coming of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start with Mark. Last week, the first gospel written likely. Go to John, likely the last gospel written. And then, Lord willing, to Matthew and then to Luke. John 1, 1 through 18. Christmas story at a different level and a different angle. All the word of God written down by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Page 1053 in your pew Bibles. Page 1053, John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is born again by the Holy Spirit. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory glory is of of the only son from the father full of grace and truth this is God's word let us be thankful and believe and be built brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ Mark Likely the first gospel written is the flyover view, the fast action overview of the ministry of Christ, a gospel track. This is who he is. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. John, likely the last gospel written, the Holy Spirit saying, Will you have the details? In Mark and especially in Matthew and in Luke, you don't need those again. But now I'm going to give you the theological 
overview and foundation, the deeper view. But John writes really for the same reason, John 20, verse 31, that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. John 20, verse 31, that's why he writes. Simply that you might know him, believe in him, and have life in him. That's what this is for. 1, 1 through 18, you're saying, what does that mean? Why is it so you might believe and receive life? And me too. The sad part of the story is that he came to his own and many did not believe. They did not receive him. But those who did believe in him, received him. He gave them the right to become children of God. Amazing. That's the glory of faith. You trust in Jesus. You eat the flesh of the one who became flesh for you. And your broken relationship with God is repaired, restored, and you become his child forever. The word became flesh. We want to see three things. His shocking humility, his real humanity, and his amazing glory. Those three things. His shocking humility. The word became flesh. And when the Holy Spirit puts down those words, everybody is offended. In that early culture, for the Greeks, that was scandalous. And for the Jews, that was a stumbling block as well. Why? Well, the word John uses here in John 1 is logos. In the beginning was the logos. And John 1 verse 14, the logos became flesh. And for the Holy Spirit, the logos is a person, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus. But for the Gentiles, the logos is reason. That's the word, the philosophy, human wisdom. And in Greek philosophy, logos stays as far away from flesh as possible because flesh is dirty, it's vile. Salvation is getting away from flesh. And ascending into the mind and finally one day when all flesh is God and everything is mind. Reason, that's perfection. You gotta work hard with your reason and mind to climb above the flesh and get away. So the Logos becoming flesh. What kind of God would do that? Shocking. Scandalous. Completely backwards. You you don't save people by entering flesh. Getting away from it and getting us all away from it. So your God, the divine Logos, who you say is a person, become flesh, we're out of here. We're checking out. God would enter the human race. No God in his right mind would ever do that. The Logos would take up residence 
in the womb of a Virgin Mary and swim in her amniotic fluid? (laughs) No. No, no. And for the Jews also, incredible, unthinkable, impossible, that Jehovah God would put on flesh. The eternal word of God. Look at his description in 1, 1 through 3, the source of light and life. The one who has made all that was made. The word who was with God in the beginning, that means he's before creation. So he's a distinct person with God the Father. And yet at the same time, he was God. He's the same being as God. Whoa, he is God. There's one God, he's God. But this God is more than one person. He's with God. Wonderful. And then there's the Holy Spirit too, right? The third person of the Trinity who's not mentioned explicitly here but later on in John 1. That this one through whom all things were made would become one of the creatures he made. Like, how's that possible? And the one who holds Mary in his almighty hand is now being held and rocked and cradled in her little hands. Not just for show, because he needs that. He's a baby. And the almighty God who takes care of Mary and feeds her with food and drink for her body every day is now being fed and nursed at his mother's breast. Not just for show, because he needs that. While at the same time he's feeding her because he's the word who made her and made all things and upholds everything. Now, the word became flesh. Add to that, you know, John, if you want to sell this thing, there's a better Greek word for humanity than flesh. You could have used anthropos, a little more dignity in that. This is sarks. It's a crude word. It's a low word. It's a humble word. Flesh is a word for fallen human nature. Weak, vulnerable, helpless, mortal, under the curse, doomed to die. Flesh, frail, helpless. The divine Logos, the person of the word of God, the son of God who made everything, becomes weak, frail, mortal, vulnerable, helpless, Flesh. No. That can't be. And that he doesn't do this by stopping being God. The word became flesh. I'll stop being the word. I'll subtract my divinity. I'll throw it away. I reject the Godhead. Divinity. And I want to become flesh instead. Well, that in a sense would make more sense to the Jewish and Greek mind. And perhaps even to ours. But to be both at the same time? 
the word to remain the word, the creator, the holy God, son of God. And then add to himself, it's not a matter of subtraction. The word became flesh. He subtracted his divinity and became a human being. It's a matter of addition. He kept his divinity and he added a human nature to himself. So he's two natures, personally united in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, inseparably united, true God and true man. Paul says in Philippians 2, who though existing in the form of God, Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, not of his divine attributes, not of his divine substance, but he emptied himself of the honor and privilege of life in heaven with God the Father and humbled himself, says Philippians 2, to become a servant and subjecting himself to death, even death on a cross. The two natures, God and flesh, are now residing in one person. They're not compromising each other. Divinity remains divinity. Humanity remains humanity but they're dwelling together. Again, unthinkable that God would live with human flesh. Just look at your own life and think of the yuck factor in your own life. Flesh includes your thoughts, the dirt. Think of the dirt. Flesh includes emotions. Think of the weakness and frailty and wrongness often of our emotions. Flesh includes the choices. Flesh includes the body. Flesh includes our sicknesses. Flesh includes our sins. Our mortality. That we're racing toward entombment, toward our tombs. Lord, if I was perfect, if I was sin-free, sickness-free, totally healthy, nothing wrong with me, maybe flesh why love he made us he made us not sinful not broken but he made us good and very good and we ruined ourselves by rejecting God Emmanuel who was with us in the garden and we went our own way and came under the curse as God had promised. But God still loved the creature that he made and said, I still want to dwell with you. But in order for that to happen, we have to get rid of your sin. We have to get rid of the curse. In order for that to happen, somebody has to pay the penalty, penalty eternal punishment of body and soul. Because if you sin against the infinite majesty, you've got to pay the infinite penalty. But we can't do that and survive on the other side. We'll be paying that forever and never get out of it. So somebody who is stronger than us, who's divine, has to step in our place, become one of us, and pay that price. That's the only way Emmanuel can happen again. It's love. That God would unite himself to human flesh. Become one of us in order to stand in our place and show us the glory of God 
again. For God so loved the world, this place of brokenness, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word became flesh. Doomed flesh. Ruined flesh. To save sinners. And brothers and sisters, whoever comes to Jesus as doomed flesh, deserving to die, separated from God. Isn't that our state? Whoever comes to him may know that he has come into your place with all your sicknesses and frailties and problems and weaknesses to rescue you from that. Will you not humble yourself to come to him who humbled himself to come to you? And I think that's the greatest offense of Jesus. The greatest offense of Jesus to our culture is if you came to step in my place to save me from my sin, you're expecting me to say that I'm a sinner. You want me to let go of all my pride? You want to humble my, me to humble myself to that level? No thanks. Yet that's where Jesus is calling us to go. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. See that you are a sinner. And know that he came to take your place to save you from your sins. To those who do not receive him, doom is your future. But to those who do receive him, he gives you the right to become children of God. Well, let's see, secondly, the incarnation and his real humanity. The word became flesh. And I love that next phrase, dwelt among us. He didn't just sort of become flesh and stay suspended in midair so, and fly by once in a while so we could see him like an unidentified flying object. He didn't just show up now and then to help us in a unique crisis and then go away. He lived. He dwelt among us. He made home his, or earth his home address. He moved here. He moved in. He literally moved in. He said, this is my home now. He dwelt among us. Look at that word among. Didn't live in a mansion on the hilltop, far removed from, from the problems of our fallen human flesh, our frailty. To stay isolated from us. No, he lived among us. You look at him in the Bible. He walked our streets. He entered our homes for dinners and conversations. He rode in our boats. He was rocked by our storms. He touched our pussing leprous sores. He put his hand on our fevered heads. He listened to our complaints and worries. Don't you care that my sister's not helping me? He sat in our squabbles. We want to be the first and second in your kingdom. 
wept with us in our pain and grief. He lived in subjection to his parents without complaining, even though they often didn't understand him. Wow. He lived among us. He dwelt among us. Truly. Really, listen to these words from Matthew 8. That evening, they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and carried our diseases. I just think of that. It says that when he touched Peter's mother-in-law and healed her. She was sick with fever unto death. Right after that it says, for he took our illnesses and carried our diseases. Like that disease left her but went on him. I'll carry that. I'm stepping into that. And that's true for all of us. The word became flesh. You think that he rode in our boats. He went through our storms. He is there in the worst of times in your life. He walked our streets, sat in our squabbles. It's amazing. And remember that whatever he touches, whatever he comes, he touches in order to heal and save. It's not just, I want to feel their pain a while. No, it's to carry it, bring it to the cross, destroy it, to redeem our flesh. So we can go back to Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to Hebrews 2. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then for because he himself has suffered when he was tempted... He's able to help those who are being tempted. I've been there, he says. He suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help you when you're tempted. That's Hebrews 2. Listen to Hebrews 4. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He never gave in and therefore is all the more qualified to help us. But we've talked about that before. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I think I would rather have put it able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. No, but it says sympathize with our weaknesses. I, I face that very thing. I get it, he says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's radical. It's complete. True man. True God. True man. He is Emmanuel. God with us. One more thing about this real humanity. The word John uses here is not the normal word for live, but to pitch your tent, to tabernacle, to camp. That's the word. I have, I'll give you two different translations here. 
The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Another translation. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. What's the tent? His body. And we're being told, yes, the Lord came pretty close in the tabernacle, a home made of animal skins. But there were walls. Only certain people could come in who were ordained and who offered sacrifices to pay, pay for the sins that came under special cleansing rituals. Then he took on a more permanent presence in a stone temple. But still, keep your distance. Now he comes in our skin. His skin is his tent. And he's camping in our midst. And even though now he's gone back to heaven, he's still in our skin. We still have fellowship with one who's in our own flesh, God who's in our flesh. It's amazing. Even though now we are fallen flesh and sinful and twisted and weak and vulnerable and miserable and mortal, it is God's desire to redeem us and reconcile us to God and restore us and make us beautiful again. Does God hate flesh? Opposite. He made our flesh and blood. He entered it to fix what's broken. Make it good through Christ so that we now can become his tents. And through Christ, the Holy Spirit may live in us and we might become his temples. And we are through faith. Our sins are washed away. We're new creatures and he comes and dwells with us. And he's with us every step of the way. And one day we'll reach that eternal, immortal glory where God will tabernacle with us in the new heavens and the new earth. And the same word, the word became flesh and camped among us, pitched his tent among us. That same word is again used by John in the last book of the Bible, the second last chapter, Revelation 21, verse 3. Let me read it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of place of God is with man, and he will dwell, tent, tabernacle with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. On that last day, when the Lord Jesus returns, God will spread his tent over the whole earth and all his people. And we will live in absolutely close and intimate fellowship with God. And everything broken will be made new. Well, that's what we see in the third point, the glory. The incarnation is a truth of astounding glory. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And listen to the last part. We have seen his glory. What kind of glory? Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. A glory that's full of grace and truth. It's a divine glory. Glory as the son from the father. Full of grace and that means God's kindness, his favor, his love. And truth, that word is 
faithfulness, God keeping his promises. And then you read through the Gospel of John. How does God show his glory? How, does, how do we re- receive? How do we see his glory? Well, already in John 2, when the water was turned into wine, that was the first miracle Jesus did where he manifested his glory, it says. And then with the resurrection of Lazarus, right? No, this death is so that the glory of the Son of God may be manifested. But do you know where most of all in the book of John, God's glory is revealed? Jesus reveals his glory. Do you know? When he hung on the cross. Place of glory? Listen. This is what Jesus said. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's just before his arrest. The hour has come. So far, they want to arrest him. No, my hour has not yet come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. God has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the meaning of Christmas. God has come in the Lord Jesus Christ to reveal his glory, the wonders of his love, by having his Son hanged from a tree as a curse for us. And that's where the wonders of the glory of God's salvation, of his grace and truth, his love and faithfulness are ultimately and fully revealed on the cross. And of course, in the resurrection, pouring out of the Holy Spirit and ascension and return. But on the cross, you'd never think it. What is that for glory? But it's the glory of our salvation and it's the glory of God fulfilling the Emmanuel promise. I want to live with you in order for that to happen. We got to take away that sin issue and that broken relationship with God. And so I'm sending my son to stand in your place and take care of that. And when you believe in him and you're joined to him, you're joined to me. You're joined to me. All God's grace and truth were brought down to earth when the word became flesh and we've seen his glory. How can God possibly manifest his eternal glory in our flesh? Scandalous. Impossible. But that's what he did, that we might have life and have it abundantly. Here's the end of the story. Again, Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Bottom line, do you see the glory of Jesus? Do you see the glory of him who became our flesh and blood so that we might be redeemed? Do you see the glory of him who in his flesh and blood was hanging from the tree and then who rose and then went back to heaven? 
When you see that glory and believe in him, do you know what? You see your own glory. The washing away of your sins. A new relationship with God. The healing of all your diseases. Yes, that's on the way. The taking away of all our squabbles. Yes, that's on the way. Rescue from all our storms. That's on the way. Restored friendships, perfect friendships. That's on the way. It's all there. All in him who loved us and gave his life for us in our flesh. Amen. Let's pray. O little child, you are our guest, that weary ones in you may rest. Forlorn and lowly is your birth, that we may rise to heaven from earth. You came to us in darkest night to make us children of the light, to make us in the realms divine as your own angels round you shine. O give us faith to see your glory, Lord Jesus Christ, to see your glory in our flesh, And to see there him who died for us and rose so that we might have life. Our flesh may be restored to everlasting life and fellowship with God. Oh, this is good news. The word became flesh. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.